Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Amen. All right. Welcome back to week two of what we're calling Summer of Stories. If you weren't with us last week, if you're just joining, whether it's online or it's in this room, is we're taking a deep dive into the parables. The parables of Jesus where he's teaching about the kingdom of God. But if you remember I said this last week, these parables, these stories aren't just feel-good conversations. They're not just fun analogies, right? Like these were and are revolutionary truths. They're life-changing truths. They are culture-changing truths. They are history-changing truths. And Jesus is laying down a challenge for us. And it was a challenge I had last week, and I will give you this week, is that maybe this summer we will be challenged to be active listeners. Instead of just hearers, just, but that we will be active listeners and say, how can these parables transform something in my life? And so last week we jumped into the parable that many think was the first parable, the one that was uh, kind of set the foundation, it, it set the pace for the rest of the parables. We talked about the parable of the sower, but if you remember, I, I said, I, I wish it was called the parable of the soils, right? But we don't, all don't get our own way, and so, so it's called the parable of the sower, but it seems like Jesus was focusing a lot in the preparations of our soil. This is our lives. This is our heart. And it challenged us with the the work of removing the rocks and the thorns in our lives that we're not allowing the truth of God to land in us, right? Because if we're going to live in the truth that, the the freedom that Jesus came to bring, if we're going to live in the new life that Jesus came to give, then we have to do the hard work. There's some work to this. It doesn't just come easily, naturally. There's some work to do. And what are those rocks thorns and trampled areas in our lives that need to be taken care of so that his truth can land, grow, and transform something in us. Now, I want to tell you a story. This, uh, it was this past Monday, my phone rings. Okay, my phone rings, and I'm like, hello? And there's a voice on the other end, and it's like, hey, Scott, I'm sorry for calling on Monday, but can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, hit me with it. Sure, what's the question? He said, can you repeat those five points from last week? He's like, I'm sorry once again. I'm sorry for calling, but could we talk about it? Sorry. This is the best call I got all week, right? Like, let's, let's talk about this. So we spent the next several minutes talking about the, the five rocks, thorns, and trampled areas in our lives. You know what's amazing? As we talked about everyone, this person had a personal takeaway and a, an application for every one of these five points. And he said, Scott, my wife and I are going to make a commitment that we're going to be at church at 9 o'clock. Now that there's a 9 o'clock service, we couldn't come before, we can come now. And we're going to come to service before we go to work because we need this in our lives. And can I tell you something? As I heard him talk, as I heard him give what God was speaking to him, it, all I could think about was this is exactly what Jesus talked about last week when he said, if you have ears, 
than here, right? He said, whoever has ears, let them hear. And God was speaking to this guy, and it just, it excited me, it blew me away. I thought about it all the rest of the week, and I tell you that story about that phone call because I truly believe that God wants to speak to us, that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to transform something in us, but there's something we have to do. We have to be open. We have to be active listeners. We have to say, Jesus, what in your truth, what in your scripture do you want to use to transform something in me? What do I need to do so your truth lands in my life and changes something in me? And so with that being said, we're going to move on to our next summer story. We're going to go Matthew chapter 18. If you got your phones, you got your Bibles. If you're in the room and you don't have a Bible, you want one, look under the chair in front of you. Take it, it's yours. We'll just put another one in there. We want to get the word in your hands. And so grab those things. And as you're grabbing them this morning, I have a question for you. If I asked you, what the most important sentence Jesus ever said, what would it be? If I asked you what was the most important sentence Jesus ever said that would be applicable to your life, what would it be? And I know this is a hard question. How can you narrow it down to one? And so maybe I won't narrow it down to one, but I'm gonna, there's a specific one today that I think we know but maybe even is underrated in our life. What is the most important sentence Jesus may have ever said in your life? What if I propose today that that sentence was found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they were doing. Okay, so Jesus is on the cross right now when he says that sentence. And I know he didn't say it specifically to you, about you, but maybe he did. This is an incredible sentence. So picture Jesus hanging on the cross. He's in anguish. He's in pain. Imagine the emotions that he could feel in that moment. He could feel bitterness and resentment and, and, and anger and, and a rage and, 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 and deeply offended. In that moment, he could have turned on these people and changed the whole scenario, but he doesn't. I mean, don't just hear these words. Imagine being in his seat and feeling all of these things, and he immediately could have just turned on the people, but he doesn't. Jesus says maybe the most important sentence that could ever be said for your life. And I remember that sentence, and I asked myself a question. How did he do that? If you know that sentence, have you ever asked yourself, how did he say that sentence? Could you have said that sentence? I'm thinking to myself, if I'm in that same seat, could I have said, Lord, God, Heavenly Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't think I could, but Jesus did. And, and I ask why, and I think the answer is simple and it's clear, is that Jesus lived by a different set or a different standard of values that we don't always have. See, before this moment, Jesus had already known the person that he needed to be 
And even when life got tough, tough, he would not compromise the person that he needed to be. And what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 18, we're about to get to it, is that Jesus is going to teach the exact same kingdom principle that allowed him to say that on the cross. And he's going to ask us to be those exact same people. Because the kingdom of God is different than the earthly kingdom that we're shaped by. And so we're going to go Matthew 18. But I warn you, I want to warn you. As I'm about to read this, these, or this parable is some of the harshest words that Jesus may ever say. It's not words that we typically hear Jesus say. Jesus is not going to mess around with this teaching, so I don't want us to take it lightly. Jesus is speaking very prophetically, very clearly, very bluntly in this parable. So let's read Matthew chapter 18. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. No, stop there for a second. We're going to get into it. We're not quite in the parable, right? Let's stop right there. This is kind of what leads into the parable. So last week, we were talking about how many people believe that the parable of the sower was taught in this place called the Cove of the Sower, right? And it was like just southwest of a place called Capernaum. And I said last week that Capernaum was kind of a central hub of where Jesus did his ministry. Well, this week we're in Capernaum, okay? And you may not be able to visualize it, but one of the cool things of when we take our trips to Israel, we've got another one November 2022, is that when he says Capernaum here, I've, I've been in this city, I'm picturing this city. This is why I always tell you, hey, leave the seats you're sitting in. Leave wherever you are and jump into Scripture. Let's jump into the scene. I, I love that I can picture Capernaum right now. Jesus did so much ministry there. And so what Jesus is doing is he's teaching a bunch of ideas. And then Peter, right in the middle of Jesus teaching a bunch of ideas, Peter goes, hey, Jesus, I've got a question. Okay. Jesus is teaching a bunch of ideas, a bunch of truths, and Peter's like, I've got a question for you. And what I see in this moment is Peter wants to get this right. I see in this moment that Peter might have had circumstances where forgiveness was on the table, and he wants to get this right. What I see in this moment is Peter would have known what the typical answer would have been if he had gone to a local rabbi. If he had gone to a local rabbi, you know what the answer would have been? Three. How many times do I need to forgive? Three. It's acceptable that if someone does something against you, you can forgive three times. And after three, you're kind of off the hook because that was generous. That was godly. That was what the calling was on the typical person. Peter knows this. Well, there's Jesus on the receiving end of the question, and I think Jesus knows his heart. I think Jesus knows that this is a normal dilemma for life, isn't it? I mean, you're sitting in your seat. This is not a normal dilemma for life. How much should I forgive? And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, I see your heart is good. Like, I see Jesus looking at Peter, knowing his heart, and Jesus wants to give a kingdom principle in this moment 
And I imagine his body language and his tone was, Peter, like, I love how you're approaching this. Like, Peter knows that he's been hanging out with Jesus, and they do things differently. It's not how the rest of the world does it. He does things differently. And so Jesus is like, hey, seven times? That's a great gesture. Seven times? This is attempt is strong. Seven times? Your heart is good. But Peter, hear me. Your attempt is still earthly-minded. While your heart is good and your attempt is good, everything is good, your attempt is still earthly-minded. And I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or other translations would say 70 times seven. So I think what's going on behind the words of Jesus is not a mathematical equation. What's going on behind the words of Jesus is, is is this kind of sentiment. If you're calculating the times you forgive, you are not really forgiving. Peter's like, how many times should I forgive? Peter, if you're counting the times that you forgive, you're not really forgiving. Because Jesus was not giving a math calculation. He was giving a kingdom principle, right? And so what Jesus does is like, okay, I need you to understand this. Because Jesus didn't want to speak just to be heard. He wanted to speak so you could understand. So he's like, let me tell you a story. Everybody loves a story. And here's our summer story, okay? Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay you back everything. Now the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he choked him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Verse 31. When the other servants saw that he, that it happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. I said at the beginning that Jesus is not going to mess around. These are some of Jesus' harshest words if you, are, if you allow yourself to hear them as they're spoken. Peter asks a question, and people need to see that the, how, the picture of how Jesus works, how the kingdom of God works. And what we see from the beginning, Jesus needs them to know that a debt is owed. 
The foundation of this story is a debt is owed, right? Like, like Peter's question prompts the answer, and at the root of it, Jesus is like, a debt is owed. But the problem comes into this reading is when we don't know what debt or how much the debt is. The problem with this story is when we don't understand how weighty the debt is. And so I'm going to test your math skills this morning. See, what you'll see in the NIV is 10,000 bags of gold, okay? But if you see in other translations, it will say 10,000 talents. This is no small debt. But let's do the math on this. From what I've read, one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. Okay, don't, we don't work in denarii, but they would have. That been their currency at the time. One talent would have equaled 6,000 denarii. So, math whiz is in the room. How much is 10,000 denarii? I mean, 10,000 talents. 60 million denarii. 60 million denarii. Do you know how much the average person would have made every day from a day's work? One denarii. So here's the question. How many years does it take to pay off if you worked every day as a day laborer? How much would it have taken? 164,000 years. 164,000 years. So do you see what Jesus is doing? He's not giving a math lesson. He's not giving a math lesson. He's making a point. And if you don't get the point, then you miss the punch of the story. There is no possible way this debt could be paid off. Forget the math. Jesus is making a point. There is no possible way this debt could be paid off. Jesus is punching him in the face right out the gate. Look at this guy. What he owed, there is no way this debt could be paid. This isn't a, can I get some overtime? Can I work a few more hours? 164,000 years. Come on. And so the response by the servant is an exactly perfect response. He falls on his knees and he begs for mercy. He begs for grace. He begs for forgiveness. Please don't send me to prison. Please don't sell my family. Please don't sell my stuff. Don't sell my kids. This may seem extreme, but this is a legit story. Jesus is just using a scenario that they would have had they would have seen every day. This is what would happen if someone doesn't pay a debt. Okay, I own you now. So I'm selling your stuff and now you work for me until you can pay all this off. Jesus is just using something that they would have already known. So then Jesus paints a picture. When you know how much debt had occurred, you knew what it was going to take to pay it off. Jesus then paints a picture of a master that is more forgiving than is even rationally being able to figure out. He's painting a picture of a, of a master that would not have made sense to them in their time. They, who, who forgives that much debt? This master does. He forgives the debt and the life of the man is spared. The life of the family is spared. This is life-changing. 
or at least it's supposed to be. Because now the story continues, right? Like the story continues. And, and the exact same scene is in play, except now the servant sits in the master's seat. And isn't this parable real life? Isn't this parable real life? Imagine hearing this story. But forget them, you. Isn't this real life that we've all sat in both of these seats? We've been the one who owed a debt. We've also been the one that was on the other side. We all had, have done the wrong and we've all had wrong done to us. We've sat in both of these seats. Jesus is showing the contrasting picture here. The servant who now has the power is owed a much smaller debt, a bunch of silver coins. And he's asked to show the same mercy, the same grace, the same forgiveness. But what do we see? Everything that he had asked from the master, he was not willing to give it to his fellow servant. And then you see the other servants, they're sitting there and they're just steaming. They are ticked. And they go tell the master and then this intense scene comes up. This intense scene that I don't want to take lightly. I need you, I, I need us to see, not like, oh, it's the Bible, it's Jesus, it's the parable. These are not just fun analogies. These are not just feel-good conversations. Jesus is hitting them hard. The master loses it. The master is filled with rage. The master is angry. I want us to feel these words, the depth of the words. He says, you wicked servant. How dare you not treat your fellow servant the same way I treated you. And then the unmerciful and unforgiving servant gets what he deserved from the very beginning. He's being held accountable for his debt. And then Jesus ends the story by saying, here's the deal. After all that being said, this is how my heavenly father will treat you. Treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. The whole story is wrapped up in this one sentence. Jesus is like, hey, I'm the master, you're the servant. And either you treat others the way I've treated you, either you forgive the debts that are owed you, either you understand how much debt is owed, and then you, that makes you then forgive debt that's owed to you, or we're going to have a problem we've got to deal with. Either you do this, or we're going to have a major problem that we have to deal with. And isn't this a different story of Jesus than we normally see? Isn't this a different picture of Jesus than we mostly imagine? Don't, aren't our pictures of Jesus like the, the end of the first conversation where he forgives and the guy moves on debt-free and lives life? Like, isn't that a picture of Jesus? Like, Jesus forgives. Hallelujah, he forgives. Like, amen. We can always count on Jesus to forgive. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he forgives. That's just who Jesus is. But then we've got a different picture. We've got a different picture right here of Jesus, which tells me something. This different picture of Jesus then tells me something. That Jesus is very serious about forgiveness. How we treat 
others when forgiveness is needed matters to Jesus. He doesn't mess around. This is not a light sermon. This is not a light parable. Jesus is coming at them, and I'm hoping you can feel he's coming at you too. How we respond to people when they've done wrong to us. How we respond and we could hold something against somebody else matters to Jesus. I told you at the beginning that these parables are revolutionary. Jesus was teaching something that went hard against their culture. Remember I said the rabbis were teaching it. What would they say? Three? He's like, three? We're going 77 or 490, depending on which translation you're doing. And it wasn't even a math question. It was just about we forgive. It's what we do. Three. What are you talking about? Three. Jesus is preaching something revolutionary. It was going to change their culture, but forget about their culture. This goes against our culture. This goes against our personal culture, our instincts. We could handle three, couldn't we? Couldn't you wrap your mind around three? You do something against me. Okay, I'll forgive because I want to be better than the world. You do something. Okay, I'll forgive. I want to be better than the world. But three times, like, I'm cutting it off. I'm done. Can't do me wrong three times and expect me to forgive you. Like, this is totally rational, isn't it? And Jesus is like, nope. It's not how we operate. It's not how we operate. And so as I read this story, I wanted to let the teaching land in my life in a way that transformed me. That's a reference to last week, right? Like, I wanted to prepare my soil, my life, my heart, so that this teaching could land in a place where something could be transformed. So I asked God, what do I walk away with this? What do I walk away with something that would change how I operate every day? God, if you're supposed to transform something in me this summer... What, how should I think about this? What do you really want to say to me personally in this? And so I had some takeaways. I'll just share, I'll just share they're just simple. Well, the first takeaway is just forgiveness in the kingdom of God doesn't make sense. Forgiveness in the kingdom of God is not going to make sense. Can we just grab this hold of this simple truth that the kingdom of God is different? Can we grab a hold of the simple truth that Jesus is different and he does not make sense to us. I don't care how much you've grown up in the church, Jesus does not make sense to my broken, natural, instinctive self. The forgiveness we receive through Jesus doesn't make sense. The debt of my sin is too large. I can never repay, this is what Jesus is ultimately getting at, right? I cannot repay this debt. It doesn't make sense, but Jesus forgives anyway. But what that also means then is my forgiveness of other people also doesn't make sense. And I'm commanded to forgive anyway. Forgiveness in the kingdom of God does not make sense, but we're commanded to forgive anyway. Now, I, I've got to go down this road real quick that we all know the wisdom that needs to play out in this, right? There's a difference in forgiving people and living in abusive relationships, right? 
We know there's a difference in, in, in forgiveness, the principle of forgiveness, and just getting walked on constantly. My prayer is that we know that there's wisdom to know the difference between these two scenarios. That the principle is forgiveness is endless. But that doesn't mean we aren't to be wise in how we walk through relationships. I have to say this because I never want to be that pastor that puts people in positions for abuse. I get sick of stories in the Christian community, church, people growing up that when talk about forgiveness, it's just like, you better forgive or else, and so you better take whatever comes your way. I'm praying for wisdom for you in this. There's a difference between a principle and, and wisdom and how you walk that out. But with that being understood, we have to grab the concept that in the kingdom of God, forgiveness doesn't make sense. We don't try to figure it out. Do you know we think too much before we forgive often? And we can talk ourselves out of forgiveness? That we find reasons why people shouldn't be forgiven? And we can convince ourselves why? Forgiveness is not something we figure out. It's something we just live in and we give away. Forgiveness is something we live in first and then we give it away. That's how the kingdom of God works. Now, now the second thing, the take home for me, and I'll bring it to you, is that in the king, uh, forgiveness in the kingdom of God is expected to transform our lives. Forgiveness is expected to transform our lives. When Jesus expects, when we live in his forgiveness, that we're on the receiving end of forgiveness, that it will change and transform how we live our lives. I said it last week, I'll say it this week, and I'll probably say it again next week, that I believe that Jesus came to give us freedom that changes every aspect of our lives. So when we live in the freedom of Jesus, how we view ourselves will change. When we live in the freedom and um, we live in the forgiveness that brings freedom into our lives, how we view ourselves and how we view our past will change. Forgiveness in the kingdom of God allows us to um, uh, view ourselves, our past, and our futures differently. But not just that. When we live in this forgiveness, it allows us to view other people differently. There's freedom in how we view ourselves, our situations, our past, our future. But when we live in forgiveness, it should transform how we filter other people. Jesus expects there to be some transformation. God's forgiveness gives us new life. And I think that he expects us to embrace this new life and live it out. It's to transform. See, we don't just accept the forgiveness of the, our debt and then pile up new debts, right? Like, imagine paying off credit card debts and going, sweet, I have limits again. And we just start spending and spending and spending and spending. When we are transformed by Jesus and live in the forgiveness of our debts, it should change how we live our lives. I think he's expecting to be transformed by his forgiveness. And then the third thing, not just that it doesn't make sense or to be transformed, is that forgiveness in the kingdom of God requires copying. Okay? Let's deal with what's 
been put in front of us as a story. Jesus is pretty clear about something. There is consequences to our lack of forgiveness of others. I don't claim to know exactly what that is and how that plays out. I'm going to let God be God and I'll, I'll just be me. But he seems to be very clear there are consequences for lack of forgiveness, right? I can say that because I didn't say it. He did. Yeah? I would hate to walk away from this message and not lean into the harshness and how this parable ends. Forgiveness matters. Our lack of forgiveness matters. Jesus needs to deal with our deep-seated resistance to forgiving others in abundance. Jesus has to deal with this part of us. Can we just admit, together, we have a deep-seated resistance to forgiving in abundance. I think Jesus wants to break us of our addiction to the desire for people to get what we think they deserve. Don't tell me you don't operate this every day. This is the carnal, broken, earthly kingdom side of us that we have an addiction to the desire for people to get what we think they deserve. But can I tell you, this mindset is an earthly kingdom mindset, not a kingdom of God mindset. The kingdom of God does not operate like that, and I am thankful he doesn't operate like that. Because I'm on the receiving end of it. We need to have kingdom value mindset, which, mindsets, which means we are copying what we see in Jesus in this story. And the task of copying Jesus in this is a tall task, but it's a requirement. When Jesus teaches it, I don't have a choice then. I have to own this is what's expected in my life. And if I want to become more like Jesus, then forgiveness needs to be at the top level of what I'm supposed to do. Because see, in the story, we not only see what Jesus does for us, he expects us to do it in return. This is not an ask. It's a requirement. It's a command. I said at the beginning of this message, what maybe is the most important sentence that could ever be said for our lives? And I just proposed, maybe it was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's the most important sentence we could have because we don't know what we're doing. We are messing up constantly. Just We're messing up life, and we need that sentence said to our life, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but may that sentence not be one where, where God says it to us, but we're not willing to say it about other people, to other people. That maybe the call to action today is one of two things. It's living in the forgiveness or dispensing the forgiveness. I don't want to let this parable go by and not have a chance to say, listen, I don't know what your life is like right now, but there may be areas where you need to act like that servant and fall on your knees, either literally or just spiritually, and just say, God, forgive me because I'm realizing the debt that I have to you is so large I'll never be able to pay it off. Will you forgive me? 
The beautiful part of this story is Jesus makes it really clear that he will be there ready when we come to him in this way and we can always be assured that the master forgives the debt. So maybe that needs to be you today of like, God, forgive me, and I I just need to give you my life, and you take all the debt, I'm yours. Or maybe it's not only that. It's, God, thank you for how you forgave my debt. I want to be more like you, and maybe the Holy Spirit is putting something in your mind, someone in your mind that you need to forgive because you've been holding on to something and you are not acting out the ways of Jesus. Listen, here's where it comes down to. I would hate for it to be said of us. You wicked servant. How did you not forgive after what you just experienced with me? Maybe the worst thing that could be said about our life is to sit in the forgiveness of God, but then go out in the world and choke people, making them pay for their debt. Maybe this parable is not for 2,000 years ago, it's for today. And there's something you're holding on to, and Jesus is like, I need, to, I need to give you freedom in your sin against me, and I need to give you freedom that what you're holding on to to other people. And so we're going to end in worship this morning, and I just want to propose to you that you take this parable seriously, and you take the calls of action, that maybe you need to lean into the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, and maybe you'll need to lean into becoming more like Jesus and being the grace, forgiveness giver. May this parable not be one that's just heard, but one that takes root in our life and transforms something in us. Can we pray? God, I thank you for sending Jesus for us, that our debt can be paid, that we are, we are people who don't know what we're doing. We're messing this life up, but we've got a God who says, I'll forgive that debt when we come. And God, if there are people who are either watching, listening today, or in this room, God, may, may we be humble enough to fall on our knees and say, Jesus, forgive me for how I've been living life. I want to give you my life and find that freedom in you. But God, I pray that an extra dose of conviction on us, though, if we are not living out how you've called us to live, God, that we would be able to be humble enough to forgive those people when we have wrong done to us. Because... Jesus, if you can on the cross not turn on us, when we've turned on you, God, I pray that we would not be people that would turn on others when we're done wrong. May the kingdom principle forgiveness be real in our lives. And may you speak to your people today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.